Okay, good morning everyone. I believe we have a few words left on the bottom of Kavav Amudbet. Tanu Rabbanan. Again, I'm just jumping in here, 26 pages late. So uh, <laughs> you'll have to help me out for some of the context of what happened before. But Tanu Rabbanan, our rabbi, is taught. Right, we learned earlier in Abraisa. Haholach mimakom lamakom. Someone who's traveling from place to place, right? And in this case, the key is that they're not traveling for fun, but rather they're traveling for business. Right? And what happens uh, along the way? Unfortunately, someone passes away. Right? They lose a relative, um, one of the sh- Shiva Krovim, one of the people who you have to sit Shiva for. Im right? if, pro- if he's Yachol if he can limit, right? if he can restrict some of his Essex, some of his business activity, Yima'et, then he's supposed to restrict it. Right? Because we know we've learned earlier, or you've learned earlier, that someone who's sitting Shiva... Um, it's not appropriate for them to engage in in work, right? Not to go to work. Ve'im love, but if not, then yigalgeli mahen. Then he may continue to do his business as long as he's not doing it alone. If it's in conjunction with his whole business trip, if he's on like you know, uh, uh, he's with a convoy of people and his his business partners, and they went to a business trip, then he can work with them. They were showing him debate a little bit over here, um, exactly what's going on. It's right. Is this for a parent? Is this for other Shiva Krovim? Um, it seems to be a little bit up for debate, but the simple reading of the words, uh, whether they shim, whether they work well with what we've learned earlier, the simple reading of the words is that if he needs to, he can continue on. Perhaps he's on the business trip and he's more, it's more necessary for him to do business in order to pay for his needs, for his food, for his lodging, as opposed to if he was just at home and probably he has backup slash community to support him. Okay, new Brysa. Right, the, we were t- the Gemara goes back, and we'll spend many, many lines now on this whole idea of what we'll see. Tana Rabbanan me'emasai kofin es hamitos. Right, have we discussed this before? Mm-hmm. Um, right, this is a major part of the Avelus process, which is quite unfamiliar to us, which has basically been abolished in modern times. But the Talmud, in many places, and here, spends many words on this. Right, what? When do the Avelim have to overturn their beds? And when do they flip over their beds? Which we know is one of the things you do when you're in, when you're in mourning. So the first opinion is from the time when the deceased, assuming the deceased passed away at home, when the deceased leaves the house on right to go be buried, right as it goes out the right as the coffin goes out the front door, that's when it's appropriate to go ahead and overturn the beds. Rabbi Yeshua Omer Hagolel. Right from when the lid of the casket is sealed, meaning when he's buried in the ground. Right? So that's basically a machlokas, probably not only about flipping the beds, but basically in general, when you go from being an onen to being an avel. Right? We're very we're familiar with the second custom, we'll see how we puskin in a bit, but we normally assume that the avelus ends basically once the person's been buried. Until then, you're an onen, you're busy taking care of the mace, because they have to go ahead and be buried. Um, but here we do have a machlokas. First opinion, Rabbi Eliezer, when he leaves the house. Second opinion, Rabbi Yeshua, when he's buried. Rabbi Gamliel Hazaken. Right? So he gives us a proof, um, to, a, a story, a maisa, to prove what happened. Right? Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Gamliel Hazaken died. Right? When his body was leaving the front door of his house, Rabbi Eliezer said to the, to the mourners, you should flip over your beds. So that's a proof. For obviously, Rabbi Eliezer, right? He, his story supports his own opinion that it happens when you leave the house. The earlier opinion, and not just when the body is buried. 
Bekevan Shenistam Rehagolel, when the lid of the casket was sealed, Amar Lehem Rabbi Yeshua, Kafumito Sechem, right? Kafinu Al Pi Hazaken. Sorry, Kvar Kafinu Al Pi Hazaken, right? But then they said, Amru Lo, Kvar Kafinu Al Pi Hazaken. They said to him, we already <coughs> followed the first opinion, right? It was a machlokas. It was a machlokas between Rabbi Ezra and Rabbi Yeshua. They were both standing around when Rabbi Gamliel Hazaken was was uh, died. So obviously, the first one, Rabbi Lezer, said to do it at the first time, and then the second one, Rabbi Yeshua, said to do it the second time. They're like, "Well, we already did it. You're too late." Um, so, so Rabbi Lezer brings that as a mice as a proof that he is correct. Okay. Continuing discussing the same topic. Tanu Rabbanan Meimasai Zokfin Es Hamitos Be'erev Shabbos. Right, when should the mourners, right, your bed has been upside down all week or from whenever the person died, right, during Shiva, and now you're going to go ahead and flip it right side up for Shabbos, right? Why? This is, again, this is about beds, but it's also about the whole general idea of when, how soon before Shabbos, right? Many have had this practical question. We know well, you have to start getting ready for Shabbos. The, even though the Avelus continues over Shabbos, the Avelus before Hesia, the public Avelus, does not, right? And therefore, you have to get ready for Shabbos to a certain extent. You can change your clothes, you can put on shoes, you can sit on regular chairs, v'chula. So when does that start? How close to Shabbos? If they only do it during the 18 minutes, can you do it from already when you wake up in the morning? So the first opinion here is Mincha Mincha Vilamala. Right, from Mincha time. Now, obviously, the word Mincha time is a confusing topic. For those who are familiar with Halachic Zmanim, know there's two Mincha times. There's Mincha Gedola and Mincha Katana. Right, Mincha Gedola is half an hour after Chatzot, Halachic midday, and Mincha Katana is much later in the day. So, that is enough, Kamina. That's the difference between how you read those. Um, the Gemara, Gemara comments, Amar Rabba Barhuna, Afal Pichen, even despite the fact of when you say you're allowed to flip the bed right up, right, you're allowed to prepare for Shabbos, <clears throat> nonetheless, it's still actually usher, forbidden to sit on this bed or to sleep on this bed until it's actually Shabbos. Meaning, even though you can prepare for Shabbos on Friday, the actual nihuge avelus, the actual fact that you're not allowed to act like a non-mourner, doesn't start until Shabbos itself, until you light the candles. He's interesting. The words here, Achetechach, until it gets dark outside. So, did you have to read that literally about Benishmashos? What happens if you bring an early Shabbos? Okay, for another time. Lamotse um, Shabbos, and what about after Shabbos? When do you have to flip the bed back upside down? Right? When do we go back to public mourning? Afapish en lo leshev alea yom echad. Choser vekofe. says, even if you only have one more day to sit, right? Let's say you're Shiva. Let's say the person was buried on Monday, so the shiva is going to be over on Sunday, and you're only going to sit. You only have to even for one day. You still can't. You can't just be like, eh, it's only one day of shiva. No, public morning begins again. Flip the bed back over, right? And nonetheless, he has to flip the overturn the bed. Now, Gemara cites another brisa. Tana Rabbanan hakofe mitaso lo mitaso bilvad hukofe elakol mitos sheyesh lo betoch beso. So it's not only the mourner's bed himself, but he's also flipping over all the beds in the house. Flipping over his children's bed, his wife's bed, right? All the potential beds, uh, right? Why? And this gets into the fundamental reason about why we flip beds in the first place. You, I thought at first when learning this halacha, that you do it because you're supposed to be uncomfortable, right? You wear the same clothes, you sit on a lower chair, but we'll see here, based on how they interpret this halacha, it's really much less about personal comforts 
than it is about what it says about the about the about the house. Even if you have ten beds in ten different places, right? Kofek and you have to turn them all around. If, 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 someone has, if there's five brothers and God forbid one of them dies, right? Now there are four sitting Shiva. Kulan Kofin. All the all the of them overturn their respective beds, even in their respective homes. Right? They're sleeping in different places. So it's not dependent on the Gemara here is always assuming that the that the mace died at home. Right? So let's say one brother died in his home, the other four brothers sitting Shiva in you know in, in, in brother two's house, but every night they go sleep in their own homes. They're they're flipping their bed even in their own homes, um, right? Or the flipping bed in their own homes, not just in the house where the mace died. Is that like primary residence for tax purposes, or? Uh, so we'll see here. It says in a second about what happens if you have other homes. What happens if you have vacation homes, right? What about that? How intense does this get? Um, but if you had a, if you had a bed, I guess in this place probably a couch or maybe some sort of like a. Not really a table, because a table is not part of this halacha. But let's say you know you have that couch that you always throw all the garbage on, um, and you never never have room for sitting on it. Then that kind of place does not need to be overturned. Um, now we're getting to this whole conversation of a dargash. Right, much of the much of the rest of the duff is about uh, this dargash. What is a dargash? But the Bryce says dargash in fosa. One does not have to overturn their dargash. Ela zokfa. Elizokfa. Rather, instead of doing a 180 and flipping it on its side, you could do a 90 degree turn and kind of put it on its, you know, imagine you have this table, so if it was flipped over, the wood part would be on the ground, but instead of that, you can put the legs, you know, up like this on the tall side. That dargash, it's okay to just turn it 90 degrees. Rabban Shem Ben Gamli Olmer, Dargash Mati Es Karbi Tav, Behuno Felm Elav. What about in this case of the dargash? Rather, you can untie its loops and it falls by itself. So Murphy bed? <laughs> no, it, I mean, it kind of sounds like almost maybe it's a ca- uh, like a cot. Well, all these hammock? beds are hammock-like. Uh, if you have I mean, the if you have the art scroll, you'll see on it's a, a different, true digression on a different anyway, on different page on the next page. It shows pictures um, of of the bed. It's helpful, <laughs> but the, the all these beds. Remember, they didn't have the same kind of springs and stuff that we have in bedboards. Rather, what they have is the bed is made of you know a canvas thing or a wire lathe basically, which then cushions on top of that. Um, and so this one is basically assuming here that 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 when you uh, if you untie the loops from the frame, then the inside kind of shrivels up. So not Murphy bed like, but I guess it's accordion like. Yeah, that it sounds like, like a yeah. like it would just whoosh, kind of like a hammock. Yeah. Then it would would fall in the middle. Now the Gemara asks the question we're all asking: my Dargash, what exactly is this thing? So the first opinion we're going to have three opinions as to what a Dargash was. The first, and the, and the, and the, we have an opinion. It's rejected. We try to go back to it. It's rejected. We try to go back to it, and finally, it's rejected for good. So this is the first suggestion, which will be rejected. Amar Ula, Arsa Tidgada. Right? It's a bed of good fortune. What does that mean? Um, so the Mefarshim here explain that a bed of good fortune means different interpretations, but either uh, it's the type of bed. That was left, right? It almost sounds like a little bit of Vodazara, like a little bit Nihush, a little bit magical-like. You would leave this bed aside to say, like, look, I'm very wealthy. I have another bed uh, that no one has to sleep in, I, so Hashem should continue to give us this bracha. So you could say that that's a little, uh, um, a, a little, a little uh, magic-like that the, the Mepharshim don't like so much. So rather, some of the Mepharshim say it's a bed for the guardian angel of the house. That's, I guess, more Kabbalistic-like than a uh, 
then I'm, but that's okay. That seems to be okay. <laughs> yes. Um, I, well, we'll see. At the end of the day, this whole interpretation gets rejected. But for now, uh, it seems to be okay. It's okay for the angel. It's not okay. Um, so, Amar Ula, again, Arsa, Degada, it's a bed of good fortune. The Gemara is going to challenge this explanation, as I said. Amar le Rabba, Rabba said to Ula, Ela ma'ata gabe melech titznan, kol ha'am mesubim al ha'aretz, v'hu mesev al ha'dargash. Right, so what is that, if that's so, when it comes to, right, when it comes to a king, right, the Mishnah taught us, um, that when a king is sitting shiva, when a king when a king is sitting shiva, kol ha'am mesubim al ha'aretz, all his nation, all his people, they, they're mes, they, they sit on the ground, and they serve him, right, they serve him his meal. They know that the mourners are supposed to be served the meal, especially the first meal, right? So the people sit on the ground, and the king, who meets of all dargash, and the king sits on this dargash, right? Whatever dargash is, that's what the king sits on. So the question was, right? Ma'ika mide te adhidna lo osvine vahashta mosvinan lay? You're going to tell me that it's a bed of good fortune. How can you call it a bed of good fortune when until today the king didn't sit on it? But now he has such good fortunes. He's an Avil. He sits on the bed. Doesn't really seem like what you should call a bed of good fortune if he only sits on it during his shiva, right? His fortunes are not exactly so hot right now. So therefore, the Gemara reject the Gemara. But that was the, that was the kasha, and now the Gemara rejects that kasha. What does the Gemara say? Maski play Ravashi. Ravashi challenges this this thing of Ravula. My kusha. Why is that? What's the problem with here? Mide the hava achila vishasia the ad haidna lo ochline velo ishkine hash the ochline ve ishkine. He says, just like before, right? A mourner, you were not in charge, you didn't give him of your food, you didn't give him of your drink, right? And now he's an avil, all of a sudden he gets free food, he gets free drinks. Sounds gavaldic, right? So it's so it's, things change. He's basically saying, like, just because it sounds good. Right to be to, to this this dargash sounds good. I get to sit on it while everyone else sits on the floor. Every avel all of a sudden is served free food and free drink while they're after they've given after they come back from the cemetery. So, but it's, that's not so wonderful. It's just the halacha. Don't say don't assign good or bad value to that. It's just life, and therefore it's not a fair. It's not a fair kasha, and therefore we have the first kasha rejected with the terutz. Now we've rejected. Now that we've rejected Rabbah's objection, right? We try to challenge Ula again, again challenging the fact that a dargash does not mean a bed of good fortune. Ela'i kasha hai kasha. Rather, if you want to say that there's a kasha is a problem with Ula's explanation, this is the kasha. Titania, right? We learned elsewhere in Abraisa. Dargash enutzarich lichfosa. Ela zokfa, right? We said earlier. That the darga does not need to be flipped 180. Rather, it can be put 90 degrees. It can be put up on its side. The er degada, right? If you say that this is really this bed of good fortune, am I lichvosa? Why don't you have to overturn it? Right? His good fortune has been overturned. So, right? Someone in his family died. Why don't you have to completely overturn the bed of good fortune? Tanya hakofa mitaso lo mitaso bilvad hu kofe elakomitos yeshlo besoch beso kofe. Right, as we said, why is, the, why is this dargah not part of the halacha? That not only is his bed turned over, but all beds in his household are turned over. The dargah is in his household. It should be turned over as well. And so, they, they say, my kasha, why is this such a difficulty? So, that's the, the, so the kasha is, um, basically, right, how can you tell me it's a bed of good fortune? Right, it, it seems like, 
right? It seems like it should be overturned also. So the, the answer is kasher by saying, right? Just like you had a bed that was, compa- if you have a bed um, that that was that was used only for utensils, then that was not turned over. Um, the Tanya, as we saw, right? we saw that earlier. So too, he's saying here, we see from this ruling that, that all beds, and we saw all beds in the home have to be in ter- turned over, but not including beds that have another purpose. So maybe here, this Darga, since it was designated for another purpose, it shouldn't have to be turned over. In this case, the purpose is not to hold your utensils. In this case, the purpose is for good fortune, right? For the angel or whatever we said. Uh, and therefore... He says, no, it could still be that because the fact that it's not overturned, uh, don't tell me that that makes it a problem because it has a different purpose and anything that has a, maybe any, any purpose, whether it's utensils or good fortune, should be exempt from that halacha. So that was the second challenge and that was the second terutz. Finally, the third challenge. Eli kasha hai kasha. If you want to say there's a difficulty, then this is it. Rabban Shima ben Gamliel Omer Dargash matir karbi tav nofel me'elav Right in the case of the dargash, we said, as I explained earlier, and if you have the article, you can see at the bottom of the page the pictures. Right, where how do you undo it? You untie the loops, and it kind of collapses itself like a hammock. Right, it kind of falls into a ball, probably in the center. And if you want to tell me that this bed is a bed of good fortune, my karbitav islay. Right, um, what loops should it have? Right, since it's since it's constructed as an ordinary bed. It does not have such loops. I'm not really sure why that's... Let me think for a second here. I guess he's saying that if it, it shouldn't be... It should be structured as a regular bed if it's going to have... Um, Right, you see, in the right, a regular bed there the, those days had again a weave, like a you know like a one one weave going going the long way, one weave going the short way, and they were, therefore you had these squares which you could rest pillows above it. So he's saying that it's not like an ordinary bed, and therefore he's having a problem saying it's a bed of good fortune if it doesn't look like a regular bed, I guess. Hmm. And that seems to be um, the, the the kasha that sticks. Um, it can't be a bed of good fortune. If it's physically designed differently, um, I don't know why that's such a kasha. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, it doesn't have loops. Uh, yeah. What do you I think? think it's a search for distinction. Darga's matir karbitav who no Fine. If you say it's a bed of good fortune. I guess what he's saying is that if you're going to tell... Ah, okay, here's the thing. You're going to tell me it's distinct because it's a bed of good fortune. right? What made the Darga different? It's a bed of good fortune as opposed to a bed for sleeping on. But then, and that's why it's not flipped. I can tell you no. It's not not flipped because it's a bed of good fortune. It's not flipped because it's a different type of bed. It's not made with the same kind of weave. It's made that it collapses in the middle. And therefore, flipping it on its back, I guess, wouldn't do Doesn't anything. Happen. If you think about it, actually, yeah. right? Think about if you if you if you flip the bed over. Yeah. It might, even though the legs obviously wouldn't really work this way. I guess it might work the same way. 
Yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure. But they're saying, don't tell me the only distinction between Darga is that it's a bed of good fortune, but otherwise it's all the same. It's not the same, actually. Physically, it's a different creation. And maybe Darga actually means physically different in terms of it's not a weave, it's a loops. Right? That, that could, it could be a physical distinction as opposed to a, a, a purposeful, right? Or a, a, a distinction like that. Um, and therefore, that actually is a good enough interpretation to refute Ula's understanding of a darga. So now that we need to have a dargash, now that we need to redefine dargash, the Gemara goes ahead and gives a terutz of, of, of how to redefine it. Kiasa Ravin, right? When Ravin, whenever you see the word Asa, means it came from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel. Right? Kiasa Ravin Amarlei Haumerobanan Verav Tachlifa Bar Ma'arava Shmei. Right when. Uh, when Ravin came to, uh, to, from Israel to Bavel, he said that a certain rabbi whose name was Rav Tachalifa, and he was Ma'arava, he was a Westerner, right? He, and he, he said to him, to have a shriach b'shuka de right? That, that this uh, Rav Tachalifa used to frequent the leather maker's market and my dargash. And, what, and he said there, I'm, I know this tradecraft, I know how they make leather, and I'll tell you, what's a dargash? It's an arsa ditzla. It's a bed made of leather. And therefore, and why don't you have to overturn it? And you don't have to overturn a bed made of leather because it'll touch the ground and it'll get damp um, and therefore the bed will get ruined. And so they tell you that that's the reason you don't have to overturn it. It's completely practical. And uh, this idea of angels and good fortune is gone. So you can uh, feel a little, sit a little more comfortably now. I need a dargash now. Bed of leather. Sounds very fashionable. Natutsi is coming out with the one I hear. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> fine. So what are we saying? Eat Marnami Amara, right? It's, we said another place we proved the same thing from Amara Biyermiya. Dargash Sirugo Mitocho. Right? A Dargash Sirugo. Sirugo is a bind, is a weave. That that is Mitocho, meaning that it has these loops that are built into the frame as opposed to a weave, which was not in the frame, it went over and around the frame. Um, like kind of a, you know, like looped, looped around it as opposed to making holes within it, but a dargash had holes within it. Mita serugea algaba, right? An ordinary bed has its bindings over it that you, like if you have the frame, you would loop all the way around the frame and go to the other side and loop around the frame. And this one has like a hole punctured through the sides. Uh, like a camp cot. The cuts just All of them are like some type of a camp cot. Yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, it's, it's a frame with yeah. Uh, nowadays, with netting mesh. more or less right. attached. But to the, it. I guess the difference is, is the, does the mesh go around the frame, or is or there a hole it. drilled through the frame? Okay. So now we've decided what that is, and we uh, fine. Now we go back uh, all the way. If you remember, all the way back there, we had a machlokas between the Tanakama and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, and now we're going to solve that. I'm Rabbi Yaakov Baracha, I'm Rabbi Shua ben Levi, Halacha Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, or the Halacha Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, that what? Then the case of a Dargash, you could untie its loops, so you have to untie its loops, uh, so that the sleeping surface falls to the ground, um, and that is what you must do. Good. Now we are done with the Dargash, and we can move on to our next topic. Um Rabbi Yaakov Baracha, Amar Rabbi Asi, Mita Shinak Shinaklite Yotzin 
a bed who has a, whose double posts. It has double posts, a canopy bed, right? Zokfa vidayo. That you can stand upright. Imagine you have a bed. If you have the art school, you could see a picture of it. Imagine you had a bed. Um, it's like a canopy bed. So you have a regular bed, four little posts on the ground. And then where the person sleeps is two very tall posts. And you almost have, like, I guess, with a cross beam. And then you have a tent that almost comes down. And the basic thing, if you have that kind of bed, you don't have to flip it 180 degrees because then it would, like, be toddling on two, two tall sticks and would just fall on someone. In that case, you're allowed to turn it 90 degrees and put it up on its side. Okay. Tana Rabbanan, another b'risa. Yashan al-gabe kise, al-gabe udyane, al-gabe karka. Let's say a person uh, has more interesting sleeping habits. Normally they sleep on a chair, or they sleep on a mortar, or they sleep on, a gr- on the ground, right? Therefore, he has not fulfilled his obligation of sleeping on the mita, on the bed that's been flipped. Even if he's less comfortable, right? So it's not really about comfort, as we said earlier. Even though he's less comfortable sleeping in a chair, or he sleeps on the ground. Well, if you're going to sleep on the ground, what are you going to flip? There's nothing to flip. So he says he has not fulfilled his obligation. Rabbi Yochanan, Shlokhaim Kfiya Samita. He's not fulfilled his obligation of actually overturning the bed. It seems to be its own obligation, not necessarily connected to comfort. Let's see if the Gemara explains, otherwise we'll explain after. Tanu Rabbanan, Machbedin, Umar Bitsin, Babes Avel. Right, we're allowed to sweep. And we're allowed to sprinkle water on the ground in a base avel, in a, in a shiva house. Meaning you can take care of like appropriate, you know, household cleaning in this base avel. Umadichin, karos, you're allowed to wash dishes. The kochos, vitzlachios, vikitonios, base avel. And you can wash dishes and jars and cups and cutlery in a base, in a, in a shiva house. But you're not allowed to bring spices or incense or nice-smelling things or perfumes into, the, into that same uh, shiva house. Is it, is, it, is it that the mourners are allowed to do these things, or other people are allowed to do these things in the house? I think he's saying the mourner, even. That, the mourner, that even the mourner can do these kind of things. Um, but... Doesn't clarify. It does. Ref- it does say the base avel, not the avel himself. Um, but the mourner's not even allowed to go to work. Right, but I let's say, but right, but well, when they straighten up their house. Well, some of this is saying like going to work. I would think going to. I don't. I don't see why that's a proof. You know, if you have dirty dishes in the sink, that's much less of an activity than going to the office for the day. Or you know, in this case, you know, sprinkling water on the floor is because you have a dirt floor, right. and it's going to get all dusty and disgusting. Right. right. So sprinkling water on it is kind of like you know keeping it I, at bay. I, I, think, um, I think a lot of this stuff falls along the lines of certain practicalities, and there becomes a hierarchy. In other words, optimally, a mourner does not prepare his food. He does not serve right. himself food. Therefore, he also would not be cleaning up. But right. if there's no one there available to do it, you don't let it sit. Right, but that's—I mean—that's only—that's most specifically true for that first meal. The first meal, the mourner is really not supposed to prepare himself, and the community is supposed to take care of him. But the halacha is very clear that if, unfortunately, the community neglects their responsibility, the guy doesn't have to starve. He's allowed right. to eat. Right. Um, Absolutely. But the, the other meals, he really could take care of himself. Yeah. That's no halacha that he can't cook for himself. Right. The other meals. It's just that we we do a nice thing and we take care of them. We bring shiva meals. But the real, real important meal is that first meal, the suda mafsekas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and here it sounds like you know it's nothing intense. It's just sweeping and you know keeping your house to a livable standard. 
Any is, is this indeed so? Okay, so you ask your question. Really, you're allowed to do this? Vahatani bar kapara. Right, bar kapara said, Ema varachin lo ala mugmar v'lal v'sam in beis avel. Right, I thought you're not allowed to recite the bracha b'rei b'rei v'samim in the in a in a shiva house. Right, bruchehu the lo mevarachin. Right, if it, if it, is it all right? Is it only that one does not recite a bracha on these spices or ha atuye mitanin? Right, as it, he's saying, I know the halachas. I'm not allowed to say bracha samim on these spices. But does that mean I can smell them? I just don't say the bracha. Or does that mean I shouldn't bring them in? I shouldn't smell them at all. The Gemara says, "Look, Kasha, it's not a difficulty, right? Um, because ha base avel ha base hamin Right. This refers. So here, it actually does make a difference. Levi, kind of what you're saying that here. He's talking about the base Avel, that's for the mourner himself. Right? Obviously, it's the same physical dwelling. Maybe it's different rooms, or it's different. Who's the who's the object of the who's the right who's the subject of the of the discussion? Or when it comes to the mourner himself, right? If it's just for pleasure, he's not allowed to smell things. But when it comes to the house itself, especially those who are coming to visit, right? They're allowed to smell things, um, right? Especially if there would have been unpleasant odors, they're allowed to be blocked out. I realize the Gemara itself does not, going back a step before we go to the Mishnah, the Gemara itself does not specify um, why we flip the bed. And a lot of people, a lot of the Mepharshim explain that we're flipping the bed not necessarily for comfort, but to show that your life has been flipped upside down, that someone has died, and that changes things. And therefore, that's why you're not only flipping your bed, you're flipping other beds uh, and making a statement that, that things are different and Hashem has you know, flipped, turned your world upside down. Uh, by by taking this person from us, isn't uh, when we sit on the floor in Tishbev? Isn't this also because of a velus? Symbolic, yeah. Of it, yeah. But it's but that's because of discomfort, not because of. Mm. Well, Tishbev is a super complicated day, and you can read of JJ Shachter's book on it. Tishbev is mixing the practice of a velus and the practice of a tzum, right? The morning practices and the fasting practices, and the problem is often the same ritual is for both, but with completely different meanings, right? right? For example, we fast on Yom Kippur, that's not to do with the fast of Tisha B'Av, right? And the, the morning practices are about sadness, and the fasting practices are about request and self-reflection and trying to change the future, um, and so often those are, get, there's the same practice can mean different things in different contexts, and Tisha B'Av has a little bit of both, and that makes it you know, quite a confusing day, hashkafically. All right, Mishnah. I'm sorry, this is a long amud. And Malikin Lebeis Avel, right? One does not deliver food to the mourner's house. How does he, not that you don't deliver it, but how should you not deliver it? Lo betavla, not on a tray. Velo is kutla, not in a large bowl. Velo kanon, not in a basket. Lo salim, or I guess a fancy basket, a big basket, and not in a regular basket. Sorry, ella besalim, thank you. A plain basket, right? In a simple way. It shouldn't come wrapped up in, you know, fancy wrapping paper and the like. And Omrim Birchas Avelim B'Moed. Now we're actually talking about Chol Moed for a second. This is after, after all Moed Katan. Um, so he says, you should not say the Birchas Avelim. We are unfamiliar with this bracha, but it used to be the custom that at some point during the Avelis there was a bracha that you said. Uh, unclear exactly if it was the Avel who said it, it was the visitors who said it. It almost sounds like from later on that it's the visitors who, was se- who said it. They walked in or something. It sounds like, well, we'll see in a bit exactly when they would have said it, uh, but it seems like you could maybe say it even at different stages. 
uh, depending, it's almost like Sheva Brachas. If you miss the funeral, you could say it when you visit, when you visited. Um, but, but they say that Bracha, which we no longer have the custom to say at all, was not said on Chol HaMoed. Right, you don't stand in the in the shuros. Right, obviously after after we put the person in the ground, we form those two lines and we comfort the person as they walk out of the cemetery. Uh, those rows do not happen on cholamod. Sorry, aval omdim Right, we do we do do the rows. Thank you. I keep missing the words here. Uh, we do do those shuros on cholamod. Upotrin esarabim. Right, and we promptly, uh, but then we promptly dismiss the rabim, the public. We ask them to go home. Uh, we do not set down the the casket, right, the beer in the street on Cholmoed. Why? Um, because we right, we don't want to encourage hespedim. We don't we don't say we don't say uh, eulogies on Cholmoed. And therefore, if you put the beer, if you put the body, if you put the casket down in the streets. People will think you're gathering for eulogies. They didn't have funeral homes. They did the eulogies in the in the streets. The law shall nashim olam, and the casket or a woman's body should never put down, be put down in the streets. right? For the sake of the covet of her. And the mafarshim explain because uh, if if she died in the, in, in, during childbirth, there, there could be uh, blood that that could come out, and that would be inappropriate. And so therefore. They just said that women should never be placed uh, in the streets for eulogies. The Gemara now, now we get to a brisa. Tana Rabbanan, Berishona Hayumalichin. This this goes pretty quickly, and we'll see over and all, over and over again. A lot of these Gemaras are about sensitivity. Tana Rabbanan, Berishona Hayumalichin bebeisavel. Right, originally they would deliver food to a to a shiva house. Ashirim beklaso shel kasef shel zav. Rich people would bring it in fancy baskets, gold and silver. Vanim b'selay nitzarim shel arava klufa. Right, and the poor people would bring it in in simple, simple baskets. Vahayu anim mispaishim, and therefore the poor people would feel ashamed; they'd feel embarrassed. Vhiskinu shelohiyam aviim b'selay nitzarim shel arava klufa mipnei kvodan shel anim. So they made a takana; they made a decree that everyone had to bring it in the most simple type of basket. Right, so that no one would feel embarrassed. You don't want the poor people to feel embarrassed, and then maybe not decide to engage in this mitzvah. Tanu Rabbanan Berishona Right, originally they would serve when they served water, when they served drinks in a morning house. Ashirim b'zchuchis lavana. Right, the rich people served in fancy glasses. Right, literally glass, white glass. Va'anim b'zchuchis sevua, and the poor people served it in colored glasses. Obviously, that was cheaper to make back then. Again, the poor people felt ashamed. Again, same decree that the food should be served in the simplest type of dish so that everyone felt comfortable and no one felt embarrassed. Went to the lowest common denominator. Interesting that at the beginning, right, before, originally, um, they would actually reveal the faces of wealthy people at the Kvura. You'd be able to see their face. But you would cover the faces of the poor people, right? Right, because the 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 um the black the the, the poor people their face would have been uh, turned ugly or blackened by famine and poverty right, and dirt, and so you didn't want to show that it wasn't respectful. So it was, it was it, the original intention was good. It was to respect the mace 
and not show people how poor and disheveled this person was. But then the poor people felt ashamed because they know you weren't showing the face because you knew underneath it was poor and disgusting and right and dirty. Therefore, they decided we're just going to cover everyone's face so everyone's equal. Again, in order to honor the poor people. Same thing again. Oh, back to our dargash. Right? Originally, they would take out the rich corpses on this fancy leather bed, on this dargash. Right? And the poor people. Um, now we're on Kavzain Amubet. Bechlicha. Right, on a beer, on a simple, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what a beer is, but a simple coffin-type, you know, transportation device. And again, the poor people were felt ashamed because they were brought out on this, on this, uh, you know, simple device and not on this fancy leather bed. Therefore, they said everyone should be taken out on the most simple type of coffin, of type of beer. Again, in order to, to, not, to, to respect the poor people. Right, originally they would place incense, uh, good smells, under those who had died from intestinal issues, from stomach issues, because they didn't want it to smell. Interesting, in this case it's different than who was embarrassed. Those who were living with the same disease, they felt ashamed. Right, because they know that oh, when we die, everyone's going to know that we had this issue. So therefore they decided they would place good-smelling incense under all corpses. So that those living with this disease did not feel ashamed. Again, right, originally they would, they would take the utensils if someone had died, while she, if a woman had died while she was a nida, and therefore back in the days when we were more sensitive to Tuma Vitara, anything that you touched while in the state of nida would become Tameh, and you'd have to take it to the mikvah. So if you died in a state of Nida, then anything you touched while you were alive had to be taken to mikvah. And those who were living, who were, who were, who were Nida, who were menstruating, felt uncomfortable, felt ashamed. So therefore, they changed the custom. They would, they would take the, the kalim, the utensils of a woman who passed away. Every woman, no matter her age, no matter whether she was Nida or Tahora, they would take her utensils to the mikvah. In order for a concern, in order to be sensitive to those who need out who were alive. Again, right? Originally, if you were a zav, a male who's having certain types of missions, which makes him tame, a certain sickness, right? Then that person, if he died, all his utensils had to be taken to the mikvah. And therefore, but the, those who were alive felt embarrassed. Right? Um, therefore, the rabbis instituted that they would take the utensils of all men who died as well uh, to the mikvah uh, in order that the zavim who were alive did not feel embarrassed. One more time. Right. Originally, and unfortunately, this is still very true, especially down here in South Florida. Uh, having a funeral is a fortune. Right. It's extremely expensive to bury someone, and so the poor people felt didn't, felt ashamed that they weren't going to be able to do it properly. So what would they do? It's very very sad. They would just abandon the corpse in the public domain, and therefore it became a mace mitzvah, and the whole community had to deal with it. 
Right? But how sad is that, that you have to abandon your corpse in order to go ahead and give it a proper burial? So what did they do? Right? What did they say? The way the Gemara phrases it is very telling. The, the dealing with the funeral costs was more difficult on the family than the fact that the person died. It was more stressful that they had to, de- bear, to pay for the funeral than, than they had to deal with the death. Right to the point again that they would leave him and they would run away. Until Rabbi Gamliel came and he treated himself with kalus rosh. What does that mean? He treated himself light, lightly. And to Machlokas here, does that mean upon his death? He left instructions for himself to be buried in a very simple pishtan, a very simple flax or linen garment? Uh, or did it mean that he instructed his Talmidim to take care of another mace uh, like that? Right? They no longer bury people in these beautiful, fancy garments. Rather, they bury people in very simple linen garments. And now... The custom became even lower than that. We bury people in the most, most simple uh, items that are made of coarse canvas. It's only worth a zoos. It's barely worth a dollar. And so everyone's buried the same. Everyone's treated the same. No one should feel embarrassed. Going back to our Mishnah, right? That was all kind of a tangent. We talked about this idea that there's no eulogies on Cholomoed. So the mita, the beer, the coffin is not placed in the street during Cholomoed so that eulogies will not be encouraged. Amarav Papa and Moed Bifne Talmide Chachamim, right? Um, that on, on Cholomoed, right? Cholomoed does not stand in the way. Cholomoed is not a reason for eulogies to be held back when it comes to Talmud Chacham. He's allowed to have eulogies said even on Cholomoed. The Kolshakan Chanukah Purim, and so too on Chanukah Purim, uh, eulogies are allowed. The Hane Mile Bifanav, right? We know there's no Israel Malach on Chanukah Purim, it's much less of an intense day than Cholomoed. The Hane Mile Bifanav, however, this is so only in the presence, only while you're in front of the mace, in front of the coffin. If you're not in front of the coffin, then you can't do it. The Gemara asks, really? Any? Is that really true? Right? Rav Kahana eulogized uh, his friend, Rav Zvid, who was from the Harde, even though the body was in the Harde, but, but, the, but the, eulogy, the eulogy happened in, in, in Fum Nahara. And that was on Cholmoed. How could that be? He wasn't in front of the casket. You just told me you have to be in front of the casket. The Gemara says, Amarav Papi, Yom Shmuahava. Although it was not in front of the casket itself, it was on the day, it was on the original day that he heard about, he was reported to that this person died, that his friend died. Ukefanav Dami. And we have a halachic concept that on the day you hear about a mace, then that day is like the, the body is right in front of you. Uh, that halacha is relevant, doesn't explain it here, but let's say, right, there's a whole halacha it's called Shmur Rachoka. Let's say, this doesn't happen very often these days. I did hear about a story quite recently. Uh, it's very, very rare nowadays. Well, let's say, let's say two people are estranged. Let's say uh, you're estranged from your parents, God forbid, you're estranged from your siblings, God forbid, and, and all of a sudden you hear, oh yeah, that person died six months ago. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you have to sit shiva? Uh, and the halachas there are, are, are quite complicated. Um, so, so perhaps this is relevant there. On the day, the moment you hear about it, right? You've had, how do you treat it? Even though they're already, you know, they've been buried for in, for five months. Okay, moving on. Amar Ula Hesped al Lev. Right, the term Hesped, um, 
when the term hesped is used in, in the Torah, right? Um, it's, it, right? It's used, right? It refers, what does hesped mean? In the Torah, it doesn't necessarily mean eulogy. It refers to like going like this, right? Like we do during al hitting your chest, right? al lave on your heart, going like this. Uh, how do we know? Dichtiv, it quotes a pasuk here, pasuk from Yeshayahu, al shadaim suf dim, right? Upon the breasts, the shadaim, right? They will, they will beat. They'll go like this. Tipuach beyad, right? Hitting with your hand, right? It's, or, or, um, sorry, uh, when the term tipuach is used in the Mishnah, it refers to bayad, clapping your hands, right? Kilus beregel, kilus. When that when that term is used in Tanakh, it means stomping your feet. It seems like their mourning practices were much more uh, inclusive of the body than ours are. They're hitting chest, they were clapping hands, they were stomping feet, right? They were trying to express their feelings of uh, you know their internal roller coaster. Uh, with their body, much more than we do, more in tune, perhaps, with their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gemara discusses some of these terms now. Tanu Rabbanan Hamekalan. Only the mourners, the immediate family. Yeah, yeah. Tanu Rabbanan Hamekales Loikales Basandal Elabiminaal. Right. If you stamp your feet, you only should do that if you're wearing a sandal, but not if you're wearing a, a shoe. Mipnasakana. Because of the danger, they're worried that if you're not wearing sturdy shoes, you might stomp so hard, you might break your foot. Um, okay, now we learn about various halachot of a mourner. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Avel, Kevan, Shani, Anab, Rosho, right? Shuv, this is very important actually. Shuv, Amen, Menachamin, Rashain, Leshev, Etzlo. If a mourner nods his head, then those who are sitting, visiting him at the Shiva house, they shouldn't comfort him anymore. They should leave. Uh, and what the Mepharshim explain here is that since a mourner can't say, you know, I'm okay, please leave. And it's not appropriate. He's not supposed to greet you. He's not supposed to tell you to leave. Um, I guess, though, even theoretically he could. It seems like here they're saying that, you know, he's basically telling you that, like, I've been comforted. And so it's not so appropriate to hang around someone and try to keep comforting when he says, I'm already comforted. And I think the message here for us is, you know, when you go to a Shiva house, you have to be a very, very aware of the cues. You know, do they want you there? Do they not want you there? Uh, you know, do they want you talking? Do they not want you talking? And sometimes they just want you to come and you can be there, you know, you drive, drive an hour, but they only want you there for two seconds, right? Just to know, okay, you came, or maybe it's a bad time. Uh, sometimes uh, it's sometimes the, the comfort is in not being there or is in leaving at the appropriate time. Right, when it comes to a nasi, a prince, an important or a political figure, an important person, all are obligated to rise, to stand when he walks in the room. An avel, a mourner, or a per- sick person are exempt from standing up when this nasi walks in the room. All are told after the nasi walks in, everyone keeps on standing until they're specifically told, Shavu, sit down. Except for this avel, they never stood up in the first place. Obviously, they're not told to sit down. Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Rav Avel Yom Rishon Asul Ochalecha Mishalo. Right, we talked about this before. This first meal, the Sudam of Sekes, it's Asur. It's forbidden for him to eat of his own bread, of his own food. Right, we learn a lot of our. I'm sure you've spoken about this before already. That we learn a lot of the Menagei Avelut from Yechezkel when God was speaking to Yechezkel. In this case, not mourning over a person, but mourning over the city of Yerushalayim was about to be destroyed. And basically Hashem told him, like, don't mourn, and don't do this, and don't do that, and so we learn the opposite, we should do all those same things. Right, that God told Yechezkel, Lechem anashim lo tochel, other people's bread you should not eat. 
right? And therefore we learn the mourners should, should specifically eat the bread of other people when they come home. Um, okay, getting close to finishing off the Amud. Um, the Gemara explains here how the Amorim were makfid to do this follow the Salacha. Rabbi Rav Yosef were probably very poor and they couldn't necessarily afford to go ahead and pay someone else and give pay for someone else's food. So they switched meals. Right? This almost sounds like Mishloch Manos. If you can't afford to give Mishloch Manos, you could just make, give your meal to your friend and your friend could give his meal to you. However, the Rishonim here explain that unlike Mishloch Manos, this can't be a deal. right? Please God, you're not sitting Shiva at the same time. It can't be like literal, even though it sounds tit for tat, it can't be premeditated tit for tat because otherwise it's not really considered giving someone else the meal. It's just considered switching, but could be I give you your meal when you're in Avil and you'll come give me my meal. So we know that we pay each other back, but that even though it's not explicitly said and it's not promised ahead of time. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav. and when a person dies in a city, all the residents of the town are forbidden to go to work until the funeral. We want them to take the funeral seriously, to attend and not be busy with their work. And therefore, they all have an Isra Malacha until the person's been buried. Rav, and we're going to qualify that. Rav Hamnuna Ikla Ledrumasa. Rav Hamnuna arrived in this place, a town called Darumasa. Shama Kol Shipura Deshikva. He heard the sound of the shofar blowing because someone had passed away. Chaza. Right, he saw that people were, and he saw people were working. How could they work? There's a funeral that has to happen. They should stop working. We just learned there's a malacha. Amr lahu, right? That he said to them, lehevu hanach inche b'shamta. Right, he said maybe those people. Right, he said that you're going to be b'shamta. You're going to be in, in excommunicated. You're going to be in cherem. Right, lo shichva ika b'masa. Is there not a dead person in the town who needs to be buried? How are you not taking care of him? How are you not dealing with it? Amrulo Chavurasa Ikam Bebamasa. He said there's a Chavra Kadisha. They're taking care of him. We've designated a smaller group who has this obligation and therefore we're all off the hook. Amrulahu Ihachi Sharyalahu. If so, then I release you from your excommunication, from your cherem. It's fine to go ahead and designate a small group to deal with this issue, this communal issue, as opposed to everyone feeling like they have to take care of it themselves. Okay, now we're going to continue with these statements of Avraham Yehuda Amarav for a while, even though some of them don't actually have to do with, with uh, our topic. Av Amar Yehuda Amarav, Kol Midkasha Omeso, Yosar Midai. Anyone who grieves over the passing of someone too much, Almes Acher Hubalcha. He'll ultimately weep for another deceased person. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I didn't have enough time to research, uh, to go in depth on the rest of this stuff. Uh, but Levi, we're interested in your thoughts after the shear. Uh, these are these are quite psychologically, in my mind, challenging uh, statements, especially in modern times. Again, I think that there's definitely merit to what the Gemara is saying. Um, but you know how how everyone goes through their mourning process. You know, I'm no expert at all. But uh, it is interesting to see the Gemara's thoughts versus modern thoughts and figure out uh, you know what uh, how to make them work. But this first statement of the Gemara. Is that if you mourn too much over the de- over the death of someone, then someone else in your then someone else you love is going to die, um, right? Um, and it, and it gives an example. Hi itasa dehavas b'shi b'shib vuse de Rav Huna. 
right? There's a certain woman in Rav Huna's neighborhood, Havalei Shiva Banim, she was blessed with seven sons. Meis Chadminayu, unfortunately one of her boys died. Hava Kabechi Bisersa Alei, and she wept excessively for him. She wept too much, says the Gemara. Shlachla Rav Huna, Lo Ta'avdihachi, Rav Huna sent her a message, don't do this, you're doing the wrong thing. Lo Ishkachabe, but she paid no attention, she ignored his message. Shlachla Itzaitat Mutav Ve'ila Tzavis he said, if you listen to me, Gavaldik, all will be well. But if you don't listen to me, you should probably start making provisions uh, for your next son, Chas Shalom, to die. What happened? Mice. She didn't listen to him, and another son died. The Mesu Kulu. And if she, didn't, she kept on ignoring him, and eventually, very tragically, all seven of her sons died. Lasof Amarlin, and he said to her, Timush if you don't stop crying, you're gonna you're you're gonna die yourself. And that's exactly what happened, Umisa. And she passed away. And the Torah proves this from a Pasuk. Al Right, it says the Pasuk says here in Yeremiahu, Al Tivkulamesvelotunodulo, the Pasuk here says that you should not do not cry for those who have died. And do not shake your head for him. And what do they? How do they explain this? Obviously, allowed to cry. We know that there's crying when when someone dies. Al yoser Obviously, you can cry, but don't cry too much. Don't cry excessively. Valtanodulo yoser And don't shake your head like oh, I can't believe this happened to me. No, it, beyond beyond a reasonable measure. Hakate said, and what is that measure? It's prescribed. The first three days are known as the days of bechi, the days of crying. And, and Shiva, Veshiva Lehesped. And all seven days are days of eulogies and lamenting and remembering them. Ushloshim Legeutz And for 30 days, we refrain from doing laundry, we refrain from cutting our hair. Right? We're in the Shloshim. Umakam Vahalach, Amar Kadesh Barachu, Iyatem Rachamim. Right? From this point onwards, um, right? From the, after the Shloshim, Amar Kadesh Barachu, Iyatem Rachamanim, Bo Yosimimeni. That's a sarcastic statement. God says, are you more compassionate on the deceased than I am? Like this whole thing, what's behind all these statements, as challenging as they are, is a theological discussion, right? If we believe that there's Hashkacha Pratis, if we believe God has a hand in this world, then when a person dies, that's what God wanted. For whatever reason, as difficult as it is to understand, God has determined that this person should pass. And we're not, we're humans, we're allowed to react, we love this person, we have three days of Bechi, we have the whole Shiva, we have the Shloshim period. If it's a parent, we have the year. But at the end of the day, we have to say, right? We we we, we say, uh, right? We say, right? Uh, we say a, we say the bracha, right? That we believe that Baruch Dayanemes, that we believe that God is a true ju- judge. We believe that this happened for a reason. And God's basically saying, are you more compassionate than me? Right? Like I chose to take this person from the world for whatever reason, and you should accept my judgment and not you know not be so so torn up about it. I mean, you know, it's interesting to think, though, how that works with modern theories of uh, of mourning and of velus, and uh, is mourning a helpful process? You know, if you're if you're upset, if you're if you let your whole life be taken over from it, is that healthy? Is that not healthy? But is holding it inside healthy or unhealthy? Uh, but this but is, honestly, a lot of these things with the mourning are also like what it says. Maybe like you shouldn't mourn excessively. I mean, there's a public expression of mourning. Right. It's a form of communication, right. almost to the other people. Right, so when he says maybe you shouldn't mourn excessively, is it, you know, you shouldn't wear black 
for for sixty days. Right, like, but you can still feel pain and suffering. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's not so. It's not describing every feeling you're allowed to say. But let's say after seven days, a person says, "No, I'm still sad. I'm going to keep sitting on this low chair. I'm going to still not change my clothes." Right? We don't say that. We say, "Get up." Right? We say, "Get up." Change your clothes. Go for a walk outside. Re-enter society, uh, and then we give you the thirty days. We give you the year. Uh, obviously, a person can still feel a certain, but we, we're trying to, you know, vitor, get back into society. All right, let's finish the duff. We can discuss it after. Bachu bachu laholach. Right, the, the pasuk there continues. We read at the end. Right, cry intensely for one who leaves. Almost more permission is given to the, at the end of the pasuk than to the beginning. And Amar of Yehuda laholach belobanim. Right, this refers to a person who unfortunately died without having children. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, lo azalibe avla, el lamanda azil belobane. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi would not visit a, a, a mourning house in general. He was too busy learning Torah. He was too busy with his communal responsibilities. Except, if someone died without having any sons, um, he would then, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi would make it his business to go to that shiva. Dichtiv, bachu, bachu, laholech, kilo yeshuv od, vara es eretz moledeto, Right, that you should cry intensely when one leaves, right, because he will not return again and will not see the Eretz Moladato, will not see the land of his birthplace. What does that mean? It's interpreted, Ravuna Amar Zesh Avaravera Vishanaba. Now he says it's about a person who committed a sin and repeatedly committed that sin. That he never did tshuva before he died. Ravuna Latame, right, Ravuna followed this up, Ta'ama Ravuna. Kevan Sha'avar Adam Avera Vashanaba, a person who committed a sin and keeps repeating that sin, Hutralo, right? It becomes almost permitted to him, right? If you do a sin so many times, the first time you feel bad. The second time, eh, okay. By the time you did it three, four, five, five hundred times, you don't even think about it. It's, you don't think that you're doing an Avera. It's just that's who you are. That's what you do. Um, and the, the Gemara says, Hutralo? Selkadaitcha? Can you really say that Himamish thinks it's mutter? No. Ella? Emanasas look at her. It's like it's permissible. Right? He knows, he knows that really it says in Shulchan Aruch and that he's not supposed to do this, but he's done it so many times, it's as if it's permissible. He doesn't even bother thinking twice. This refers to different stages of mourning. We've said three days, seven days, thirty days. Um, it's interesting also, a theological statement here, that for the first three days, uh, when after a loved one dies, you should view it if there's a sword lying between your thighs. You should view it yourself as if you're in mortal danger to a certain extent. That the malachamavis or this bad omen, has come upon your family, and uh, you should really think about your own deeds. Shloshev ad shiva, from three to seven days, kilu menachas lo keneged bekeren zavis. You know, as if the sword is lying in front of him in a corner. It's not as close to you, it's moving farther away. Uh, the danger is subsiding, but it's still there. As though the sword is passing in front of him in the street, meaning like, you know, the danger is always out there, and we need to protect ourselves um, by doing proper things, by doing tshuva, but it's not as close, it's not on your neck, it's not sitting on your body. Thank you.